Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Later in the programme, I talk to illustrator, landscape architect and former political cartoonist Gavin Coates about his love of art, the humour and satire of his work and the power of the individual. But first, photo books showcase the work of a photographer and at the Goethe Institute in Wan Chai, you can see an exhibition called Exquisite of printed photography showcasing the German Photo Book Award 2016 and also some examples of Hong Kong photo books. I went to have a look and chatted with curator Dieter Neubert, who founded an internationally renowned photo book festival in Germany, and photographer Dustin Schum, who curated the Hong Kong photo books. I'm Dieter Neubert from Kassel, Germany. I'm running a photo book festival. It was the first uh, photo festival uh, well, about the theme book. Uh, we founded it in 2008. Yeah, and uh, it has a really uh, nice response uh, internationally. And uh, that's why I'm here, uh, to speak about the photo book. What is a photo book? And what is a photo book? Actually, it's not uh, like in a more traditional understanding, a book which uses photographs uh, to illustrate text stories or just uh, to use the book as an exhibition catalog. It's also not only the sum of its photographs, it's in the best sense an autonomous body of artistic work. So it, well, requires, of course, unique photography, editing, design, the specific materials to put all this together uh, to a really outstanding singular art, art piece. And the, be- the, the good thing about the medium book is it's um, easy to share, it's affordable, it's democratic. How do you mean democratic? Democratic means uh, it is available for nearly everyone. Well, there, this is a special German award. It's the Deutsche Fotobuch Prize, the German Fotobuch Award. While it's a more a traditional uh, ensemble of, of photobooks because they put several groups together. Typical photobooks, uh, I think, uh, are also one of one part of this exhibition, then there are some really, really interesting examples of uh, outstanding photo books to see here. So it's really interesting to, to look at them. Can you give me a couple of examples? One of my favorite is uh, Viviane Sassen. Viviane Sassen is a Dutch photographer uh, living in South Africa, and she made some fantastic books uh, up to now. That's one of the latest, called Umbra. She has a very, very particular style, uh, a very unique photographic language. Well, it's always a surprising look to her work because the book is made in a very unusual way. She uses different kinds of bindings, uh, so you have to discover this book. And it's in the, in the best sense, it's, it's a really um, interesting, unique photographic work combined with uh, typical elements of a book. And what are, her, what are her themes usually? She comes from uh, advertising, from, from fashion photography. It's a mix of fashion and of documentary, something like this. So you're a photographer yourself? Yes, yes, I studied photography and uh, I'm, I love photography. I love books. So all this together uh, made the interest for the photo book festival. I found it. So you founded a, a photo book festival and how, how many years have you had that now? Since 2008. And um, it's to encourage publishers or to encourage independent photographers or both? 
Um, all uh, people who are, who are involved in the photo book uh, uh, scene, so publishers, photographers, of course, uh, books, uh, book dealers, gallerists, uh, curators. So they're coming from all over the world uh, to see what's new in the, in the photo book world. Now, we've also got here uh, Dustin Shum. So, Dustin, you've put together some of the Hong Kong books for this exhibition. Yes, um, but the books I put together are mostly uh, self-published by the photographers themselves or some of the smaller independent publishers in Hong Kong. And uh, so when you look around at this sort of international set of, of books and compare the Hong Kong ones with them, how, do they sort of fit in in terms of theme or are they very different, the ones coming out of Hong Kong? The major difference is that the books in the, uh, within the awards are, are, are published by some of the very large publishers in, in, in Germany. And uh, the Hong Kong books are, are published with a very small budget by the photographers themselves. At the same time, they show how the photographers represent their idea in the medium of papers as well. Let's have a look at some of the Hong Kong ones then over here. I think this uh, this series is uh, the only established publishers of publication within the whole selection. This is the Asia one, uh, which is uh, one of the major publisher to publish photo books for the Hong Kong photographers. They invite a lot of the late, uh, local uh, uh, critics uh, to write uh, four works for the photographers as well. Next to this selection, there's uh, some books uh, uh, published by an NGO in Hong Kong called Society for Community Organization. They have a history of publishing photo books with the subjects of their clients, like the, like the homeless, the new immigrants, or, or the, the mental illness patients, those are living in the, uh, the, the fringe of the society. I think that's an interesting uh, selection because they, they don't publish for money. They publish to spreading their message through the books uh, and also they cooperate with uh, many of the working photojournalists in Hong Kong to produce these books I think this is an interesting selection. These days with social media and the internet, do you think it's harder to create a physical book or am I looking at it too literally? No, it's not harder to create uh, books uh, during the di digital uh, years. The last years, digital photography uh, made it easier to to produce books. Uh, but the strange thing is, uh, you have now so many um, electronic photography all over the internet. You have these different uh, social media uh, uh, channels with uh, with uh, photographs, and uh, but at the same time, uh, they are. Uh, many, many, many uh, books around and more and more uh, books uh, have been published the last year, so it's a bit uh, strange situation. You have this electronic digital photography all over the internet and you have more and more books, physical books coming out. But do you think that people still like to be able to browse and look at something that's physical, made out of paper? Yes, definitely, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's totally different. Uh, it's just a very a totally different thing to have a book or photograph in your hand to see it and you can feel the, the paper and the whole object. It's uh, something really different and uh, people love it. 
Dustin, you were describing how you now um, do more sort of documentary uh, photography. Uh, I mean, as a, as a news photographer, you very, very much had to be outside the courts or if uh, there was a fire in a building. Uh, so how are you developing your skills to go more into documentary? I guess it's more about think about outside the box because, well, when you're a photojournalist, you're, you, you know how the um, media work and you know the way the readers read your images. So uh, it's kind of a set of uh, a language uh, has been established for you to use. But now, while you become an independent photographer, you have think outside the box to see if you can use other side, uh, uh, other set of language to express your idea. My example, my book called the Blocks, actually uh, it's a series of the public housing estates image in Hong Kong. The reason why I took the public housing images like in this way because one third of the Hong Kong population are actually living in subsidized uh, housing. So uh, it's the norms in Hong Kong. And also on the other hand, uh, we are always educated to treat our living area as, as home. But uh, so they try to make it uh, look uh, homey and looks uh, you are living in happiness, but at the same time, you know there's a, there are lots of social problems happening in in this uh, housing estate. So that's a big contrast between the superficial look of the those housing images and also, uh, and, and the reality behind this building. So uh, that that's what I want to express through the, these books. Yes, I mean, it's interesting when I, just having a quick look through your book, Blocks, here by Dustin Shum, that some of them, you've got a wonderful use of colour here. We've got a, a park with uh, actually a concrete slope, very yeah. uh, very ubiquitous to Hong Kong, and uh, that's been painted blue. You've got the base of the tree. Did you go around with a paintbrush? Because this actually works very well photographically, doesn't it? <laughs> um, um, uh, um, no. <laughs> Yeah, so you've got the yellow yellow bench, <laughs> uh, the yellow shelter there. Yeah. Um, so absolutely superb photo. And um, But some of the early ones as well, they, they really show the geometry. The public housing provides wonderful geometry. But um, you also show the urban decay. The urban decay, but they will refurbish it with repainting the whole superficial look. So uh, in, the, in the heart, in the core of the building, it's still decaying. But... From outside, you can see it's so freshly repainted. So that's like the reality of our society. Many things are covered with some eye candies things. Now, alongside yours here with Blocks, um, can you describe uh, perhaps another Hong Kong photographer who you've chosen? Um... I chose the books uh, which are not widely distributed in Hong Kong. So I encourage people to discover other books by themselves. So one of the earliest books uh, in this selection is the HKG by uh, Vincent Yu, who is also a very renowned Hong Kong photojournalist. It was published in 1998, so that was the year after the handover. The book can show the, the chaotic mind of the people at that time so we can see lots of the quite mundane uh, uh, daily lives uh, but with some surreal icons in the photos uses a lot of black and white a lot of shadow mm-hmm. um, in his photographers very atmos- in his photographs very atmospheric um, a lot of social commentary going on in there yes. uh, but uh, brilliant artistically as well 
Um, in terms of, there's a lot of texture. He's got rain coming down over um, some of the, the the central skyline, but also the sort of brewing ocean, which does show the restlessness in a way of 1998 post handover. It was also a period of economic decline in in Hong Kong. So there were multiple problems going on. There was also bird flu. So uh, not the happiest year uh, for Hong Kong. Um, what kind of camera does he use? Uh, I think it's, it's a very typical 35 millimeters cameras. So that's the typical cameras for photojournalists at, at that time. Because you've also included a 2007 publication by Hong Kong photographer Can Tai Wong. And what's yeah. interesting here is that he actually is a veteran photojournalist who actually took a, a plastic toy camera into yeah. various areas of Hong Kong. Yes, uh, I think it's, it's quite popular among young people. The, uh, it's called Hoga. It's a plastic um, medium format toy camera, so you can. Uh, the the images are always imperfect with lo- uh, lots of leaking of the light inside the camera. Also, uh, also the imperfection of the negatives, scratches. So um, that makes the whole box uh, a, a kind of uh, a, a aura, because uh, the whole book uh, was about the older district in Hong Kong. They are all coming to have a change or coming to redevelop. It creates kind of uh, like a vintage uh, archive photo in the 19th century atmosphere. My thanks to Dieter Neubert and Dustin Schum. The exquisite exhibition is on show at the Goethe Institute on the 14th floor of the Hong Kong Arts Centre in Wan Chai until the 27th of August. Illustration is in the genes of Gavin Coates. He used to sit as a little boy and watch his father work. His books cover political satire, a fun tale about chopsticks and publications with lively animals that help children understand about the environment. But they're equally appealing to big kids like me. I asked him about what first drew him to illustration in his childhood. Well, I was lucky because my dad worked as a freelance graphic designer. So I was brought up in a family where drawing was a normal thing to do, you know, and not some sort of little extra tack on. And uh, (laughs) and that was the only thing we knew how to do. I mean, I have vivid memories of when I was little, you know, going into my dad's studio to say goodnight at bedtime, you know, and sitting there and there's the smell of the magic markers, you know, I probably got high as a kite, actually, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the cow gum, you know, and, and so... The cow gum? Cow gum was this sort of a gooey glue, you know, that was a sort of professional glue of her gluing professionally and uh, <laughs> and the whole sort of uh, smell and and looking at the drawings you know this, and uh, and the smell of the piccadilly cigarettes you know i mean it was uh, this is all, all all these sort of toxic smells are actually something that i associate with this family love you know <laughs> piccadilly cigarettes well that's all they were at that time yeah <clears throat> later on they were Gaulois in the Gitan. It's funny how smell is something that you remember from, you know, a very young age. And uh, So did you kick off with markers or pencils? I've always drawn with pencils mostly. I haven't really done much in the way of painting. I've some, done some work like that, but 
mostly my work has been drawing. I suppose it's just been easier, you know, to pick them up and just get on with it. Now in front of us we've got um, some of your publications um, uh, going back um, over the past decade and beyond. And, uh, I mean, some of it is actually when you were a political cartoonist for The Standard, and that's called <laughs> One Hand, Two Fingers. Yes. And, uh, I mean, I've just been chortling my way through because there's some fantastic references to Tung Chiwa, Elsie uh, Lang, not always complimentary, and uh, the uh, also the crocodile, the infamous crocodile, oh, yes, of course, yes. who won... Koi, um, koi. Poi Poi, who yeah. won uh, uh, RTHK's uh, Radio 3's Radio Personality of the Year. And probably would still. <laughs> yes, that's right. And uh, um, now, uh, some of your books obviously have um, an environmental theme, and that's what you take to the children here in Hong Kong. Yes, uh, I mean, the way that I've distributed these books has been by doing school visits. So I will go and read the story and then uh, just take questions, maybe do some drawing for the group. So my first book, this one, The, La the Last Nut, really was just an, an idea that popped into my head um, while I was on holiday. I mean, it's now 25 years ago. And uh, it's a story about a little, little nut that falls to the forest floor and the tree <coughs> grows up, the tree grows up, becomes a mighty forest giant, you know, and then people come in and start tearing down the hills and developing and building all around the tree and, it, uh, and then you get to this page here where you've got um, total environmental catastrophe and this poor little poor old tree stuck in the middle of it and um, and this picture actually I say to the kids where's that you know they say oh it's Hong Kong you know <laughs> Yes, you've got lots of cars and, and vehicles stacked up on highways and uh, a plane and, uh, yes, and overpasses, the church for sale. Yeah, and not brilliant air quality. And uh, uh, in this particular picture, we don't have plastics in the sea, but that's, that's in another book. I mean, these problems are not new. I mean, they've on, been going on for ages. It's just that now they're even more acute than they ever were. Anyway, this story, I mean, it becomes the last tree in the world and it dies, right? the last tree in the world dies but as it dies it produces one last nut and then the nut falls down some kids are sheltering under the tree pick it up and then the spirit in the tree speaks and says this is the the last nut this is it you know and it's your choice are you going to eat it in which case it'd be the last thing you eat or are you going to plant it and then and then I, I say well I don't know what the end of the story is but I know who's holding the last nut da da right and then the, there you are in the mirror right yeah. So you, your mirrors feature at the end of several of your books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose what I'm trying to get across with these books is that the environmental issues are not somewhere else. You know, they're not somebody else's business. They're your business, and and you are the one who may or may not plant the last nut again, for better or worse. You know, I mean, it all depends on what we decide to do. So whether the last nut gets planted again or not. <laughs> You've been based in Hong Kong since the mid-1980s and, uh, as I say, One Hand, Two Fingers, the cartoons by Gavin Coates, uh, published in 2005, really uh, convey what was going on politically at that time and also what was interesting for me um, was, of course, I remember all of these issues, but you've got one which is, uh, you know, quite uh, startling in the sense that you've got a SARS patient um, you know, who's trying to recover and next door you've got somebody putting the sheet over a dead person equivalent saying political credibility so it's actually quite stark so some, you know, I'm laughing my head off at and some I'm like quite shocked by um, but is, um, you know, and that's the impact that you're trying to make 
as a, a, a political cartoonist. With all of your cartoons, animals feature a lot. You've got your uh, earthy, you're, you're mm. well known for that. But when you kick off with an animal or human or whatever you're doing, how do you begin your illustration? Well, I suppose uh, you, you, you have a picture in your mind, but when I actually <clears throat> put pen or pencil to paper, uh, for some reason I usually start drawing the eyes. Mm. You know. um, I, I don't know, I suppose the, the eyes, the windows of the soul, etc. You know, um, uh, if, you, if you've got the, the look in the eye, then the rest of it sort of follows on, if you like. And, and Earthy is, uh, is this little characterization of, the, of our planet. Uh, and that goes back to what I was saying about making a personal con connection. Um, I want uh, people... Because, you know, even though we, we all know the world is getting so small and we can travel to the other side of it in ten hours and blah, 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 but we still look out across it and just think, oh, we can take anything we throw at it. You know? But, of course, we've all, we, we know intellectually we've reached that point. It can't. It cannot take it any... Well, the Earth will. It'll dispose of us one way or another, right, unless we sort ourselves out. But the, the relationship between us human beings and the earth is something that everybody should consider there isn't anywhere else to go so it might be a good idea to consider it yes i think here in hong kong that's particularly stark i'm uh, sitting with you at uh, the university of hong kong today and we're looking out and uh, admittedly we've um, had a bit of a rainstorm this morning which might have something to do with the air quality but it's pretty murky and soupy out there now some of the um, topics that you cover are very Hong Kong relevant. One Hand, Two Fingers, case in point, that was the political uh, cartoons, but also Pinky the Dolphin and the Power That May Be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's another... Uh, that was uh, the, the second book after The Last Nut. And um, in fact, I had no intention of writing a book. In fact, I'm very suspicious of people who go around saying, you know, I must write a book. You know, I'm going to... Why? Well, I th I, I'm... <laughs> I don't know if you can uh, broadcast this, but I'm a believer in the in the sort of um, creative constipation theory of creative writing, right? And that, that states that uh, you only write something if it's more painful to keep it in than to get it out. Ah. <laughs> I know it's a bit vulgar, but... Um, I mean, who would... Honestly, it's, it's hard work to sit down and write a book. I mean, who on earth would do it if you didn't have some reason to do it? So... There must be something in you that, that you want to express, you know. There's something that you think is worthwhile expressing. Otherwise, why, why do it? I mean, just go to the pub and have a drink. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so with Pinky the Dolphin, how did that transpire? It was sort of sparked off, I suppose, partly. At that time, I moved from Lama... I lived on Lama Island before that. This, this was in 1996, and then moved to Lantau. And, um, and in fact, the... This is reflected in the story. The, the, there's a little girl called May. She turns magically into a dolphin, you know, and so she experiences the dolphin's environment. And they swim from Lama off to Lantau, right? And where they see the the airport under construction. Of course, the airport was under construction at that time, and all the underwater pollution. Because now this is even more. I mean, it's even more of an issue. I mean, ten times more of an issue now. The, you know, the proposed uh, third runway, you know, and. Um, uh, and recently we've had this whole issue with really monstrous amounts of garbage, you know, um, some of it produced here and some of it coming down the Pearl River or, you know, being dumped in the, in the sea uh, around Hong Kong. But the, the effect is, is really shocking. And uh, 
So we've got to do something about it. I mean, this book is more relevant than it was 20 years ago. And that also features the mirror at the back because they meet a old, wise dolphin, Sousa, right, which is actually the scientific name for the pink dolphin. It's Sousa oh, right? sinensis, <laughs> I think, I believe. And, uh, and Sousa shows them the three treasures, right? The first treasure, which they can only see magically for a, for a few minutes, right? One is the, work, the, 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 the sea as it used to be in Hong Kong, you know, with turtles and clear streams and, you know, mangroves and blah, blah, blah. And then the second treasure is they fly off into outer space. There's a lot of magic in this book, right? They fly off into outer space and see the, the, the Earth, you know, this beautiful, pristine little planet that we're all on. You know, if you ruin the seas and you ruin the land as well, you ruin everything. And then the third treasure, of course, is yourself in the mirror. That, that's the answer. That's the potential solution. So it's up to the power of the individual? Obviously, uh, I mean, if you're just sitting there as an individual, it's easy to feel that you can't have any effect, of course. But, but I mean, you can see that uh, you, there are a lot of things, obviously, that you can get involved with. I mean, all kinds of beach cleanups. I mean, every little bit helps. In the same way, I mean, the problems accumulated by lots and lots of individual stupid decisions, you know, like I'm going to buy a polystyrene lunchbox, you know. And so part of the solution will be, you know, millions and millions of sensible decisions. I am not going to buy a polystyrene lunchbox. Or if you're in a position where you can have more influence, or and, and you can now on the internet, I mean, you can just set up whatever you like. I mean, years ago, when the book first came out, I, I, I was selling the books at uh, the Tamar site, which at that time was just a big open area uh, at an uh, environmental expo. And next, in the next stall to me was a, a fellow selling lunch boxes and cutlery and cups and all of these things made out of rice husks all biodegradable. So if you threw this garbage out of the train window, you were doing the world a favour, you know, because it would just go and compost you know, somewhere. And this should have been mandatory 25 years ago, and it could have been, you know. So it comes back to who you're going to vote for as well. Everybody has a little bit of influence. Tell me about <laughs> My Life, My Chopstick. Well, My Life, My Chopstick was a sort of funny little book... Um, that I wrote with Jean Bunton. It was a little giveaway just at the time of the handover. It's a, a short story. It's in several sections. My life, my chopstick. Uh, and this is also uh, called is One Book, Two Chopsticks. And you actually do get one book and two chopsticks. The book includes a pair of chopsticks. So starts off with the chopstick lost, you know, which is a lonely chopstick. And, and you know, if you're all on your own as a chopstick, then, you know, it's just, it's just pointless. And... Um, a couple of chops, chopsticks find one another right in a toolbox and and realize that there's it, together they can do something right so they do all kind of get up to all kinds of mischief you know sort of flicking broccoli across the room and, and then, then suddenly accidentally they they actually flick some food into somebody's mouth you know and there's a discovery that these two chopsticks are actually useful so they become you know, they become loved and they get washed, you know, and stored nicely. And uh, uh, But then they start to get ideas above their station, you know, and they they, they get they go over, over the top, right? This is chopstick power. Two, two chopsticks. Mm. These two chopsticks, but then they, they take over the chop... They create a sort of a chopstick megalomaniac world, you know, and they <laughs> build bridges and 
airports, you know, eventually rockets, you know, and uh, they started a, a massive kind of military industrial complex and they fly out into the world and they can destroy the planet with these two mighty intergalactic chopsticks. So it all Did you have trouble concentrating at school? School? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, no, but I just didn't con always concentrate on the things that I was actually meant to be concentrating on. And uh, uh, anyway, eventually they, they, they lose their nerve at the last minute. Um, these chopsticks, and then they, and then they have a kind of nirvana. You know, they, 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 we have the section called the chopstick within, and they they realise, you know, that, um, that it, it, this, you don't have to do all these ridiculous things. You just have to come to terms with your own chopstickness, and uh, and and then so they get, they get together and they just have a laugh. You know, tripping up waiters and <laughs> flicking fish balls down ladies' dresses and all sorts of things <laughs> like this, <laughs> and. And, and so it all ends up on a happy note. Once a chopstick, always a chopstick. My thanks to Gavin Coates. If you'd like to find out more about Gavin's work and publications, then please take a look at his website, www.earthypublications.com. That's www.earthypublications.com. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>